Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One on One podcast. This is our first checkered flag episode back from the summer break. It is extremely exciting for the both of us. Both of us have moved into our college apartments. We are several hundred miles apart at this point, but that is not going to stop the F1 on One podcast. We started this way (laughs) in the beginning, and we're going to continue the rest of the way this way through the rest of the season. We had a pretty awesome race in terms of uh, the person who I wanted to win ended up winning the race. (laughs) So that inherently makes it a good race. But I'm sure Sasha will have some other perspectives on how the 2022 Rolex Belgian Grand Prix went. But Sash, how was it waking up at 9 a.m. again for for another F1 race? You know, Justin, it was a, uh, I guess it was a whole, like a seemingly wanted feeling. I mean, I have definitely missed F1 over the last month. You know, we obviously recorded a few episodes, you know, together one, and then we had our individual episode. But, you know, I think it was just a lot of fun to finally get back to racing. I mean, you know, Spa is a track that we've talked about a lot on previous episodes. We really, really like this track, both as people who play the F1 video game, but also just fans of racing. And, you know, thankfully, we've now gotten confirmation that Spa will be returning to the 2023 calendar um, via Stefano Domenicali, president and CEO of F1. Yeah, majorly happy about that. So, you know, hopefully we'll see Spa next year and that'll continue going forward. I mean, the other news that I believe dropped during the practice sessions was that um, Paul Ricard, Circuit Paul Ricard, so the French Grand Prix will not take place in 2023 due to a lack of contract renewal, um, which I think is, you know, a little disappointing. Say what you will about Paul Ricard, but um, I think it's a decent track for racing. You know, we saw, I think we had a decent race year, this year, you know, Charles Leclerc's mistake, Max Verstappen pulling out in front, Mercedes double podium. I don't know that you could have really asked for more out of a race this season, especially considering what Red Bull's dominance has been. Um, you know, Justin, I'm really happy. The next couple of races are 9 a.m. It'll keep me on schedule when it comes to school. I don't have to wake up too early or too late. I am decidedly not looking forward to Suzuka in Japan because quality oh is at 3 in the morning and the race is at 1 in the morning the following night. So, you know, it'll, it's going to be a rough one, but I'm sure we'll <laughs> stick it through and we'll have some great episodes and no. some great races. And, <clears throat> you know, Justin, at this rate, Suzuka might be the, the one weekend we have to watch most because at this point, I think Max that is going to That might be when he Japan. qualifies. Yep, yep. No, dude, like that whole schedule thing is so true now, especially with being back at school. It's going to help mm-hmm. so much because like just for reference, yesterday I woke up at like 1130. And as you know, I completely missed qualifying, so... I only got to see the highlights and you're going to have to carry the narrative (laughs) behind that when we eventually do talk about it because I, I don't even know what happened. I think just being back at college just completely changes Mm -hmm. my circadian rhythm. I wake (laughs) up when I want to, if I don't set an alarm, I'm not going to be waking up like at 8am casually anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty brutal. And I had to set an alarm for the race this morning (laughs) and I was pretty tired through it, but you know, I got through it. I, connected my AirPods to my TV because I didn't want to disturb my roommate because I felt bad because it was a little (laughs) bit loud. But, you know, got through the whole race. Now we're back here. I'm going to have enough time to do my homework through the day because, you know, my semester already started. So not waking Mm -hmm. up at 1130, 12 o'clock is certainly going to help for the remainder of Sundays in the season, which is pretty much through the rest of the semester. So I am super thrilled about that, super thrilled that we're back with F1. And after today's race, let's just give you guys a quick points update. Max Verstappen. I mean, like, I don't know how how many times I can just sing my praises <laughs> for this guy. What a race from him. Starting in P14 after engine penalties and a whole mixed weird grid because mm-hmm. of engine penalties. And he comes out 
wins the race and gets fastest lap. He now sits at 284 points. And we have a swap in P2 and P3. Checo has officially passed Charles Leclerc in the WDC standings, giving the Red Bulls a 1-2 in the WDC. Charles sits Mm -hmm. three points behind Checo at 188. Carlos Sainz is 17 points behind Charles at 171. And then George Russell now only sits one point behind Carlos Sainz. He was ahead of him before, but he dropped back. He is at 170 to Carlos's 171. Now, WCC, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, we have two Red Bulls on top of the WDC, so they are comfortably sitting at 475 points, two Ferraris, 359. Mercedes lost a little bit of ground this week. Obviously, we know with the Lewis Hamilton DNF that happened at the beginning of the race, they're only at 316, so they lost a little bit of ground, but I would say nothing to be too concerned about. Alpine, Alpine, wow. I mean, One of our pre-race predictions was, are they going to pass McLaren? And right now, they are now sitting 18 points ahead of McLaren. I believe both Alpines finished in the points. I know Fernando Alonso finished in P5, and neither of the McLarens finished in the points. So that is definitely something we'll touch on later. Alfa Romeo, 51. Haas with 34. Alfa Tari, five points behind Haas at 29. Aston Martin at 24 points now, so they're creeping in on Alfa Tari. And guys... Look at this. I do not have to say Williams is always with three points (laughs) because Alex Albon scored one point in P10 today, which like that is not even meant to be like, you know, what's the word degrading or sarcastic towards his performance. I mean, it was a very, very good drive for a track that is extremely fast in a Williams car that is clearly not even close to the competition around it. And being able to start in P6 and still hold on to the points is very impressive for him. So the Williams are now at four points. I'm super, super happy for them. But that is the current outlook of the WDC and WCC. We can kind of just hop right into how the weekend structure went. Sash, Obviously, as I mentioned, I did not wake up early (laughs) enough for quality because I just slept through everything. So you can give Mm -hmm. us the complete review and narrative of the qualifying session. I heard there was quite the Ferrari disaster moment. Yeah. So obviously going into this weekend, you know, we had our two practice sessions on Friday. Um, It was nice to see actually for AlphaTauri, Liam Lawson, their reserve driver, get a FP1 outing in place of Pierre Gasly. Always nice to see, you know, up and coming talent try out these F1 cars and show us what they have or what's in store in future generations of racing. And, you know, he, he, by all accounts, did fine. I mean, I don't think there's anything glaringly wrong or anything poor he's not an f1 driver so he's not going to be like topping the timesheets i don't think anyone expected that of him but again just like a little cool thing friday just kind of a lot of dry running but then a lot of uh wet running in the second half of uh fp1 if i'm not wrong and then fp2 is kind of the same fp3 on saturday morning pretty dry as well qualifying on saturday was kind of where obviously things heat up as they do on most weekends and Kind of this narrative that was going around all weekend was that this technical directive regarding those planks on the bottom of the uh, Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull cars. Obviously, the Mercedes kind of had the quote-unquote correct design, but the Ferrari and Red Bull were kind of taking advantage of some loopholes in the regulations, so they were aiming to kind of sift through all that. And what ended up happening was that there was this huge pace disparity um, between the Red Bulls and the Ferraris this weekend, one that we were honestly not expecting to see. Because we thought that this tech directive would hit both um, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. And it really only seemed to have hit the Ferraris this weekend. And obviously Spa is a very power-heavy circuit, power-sensitive circuit. We know that 
Red Bull powertrains, the engine that is currently in the back of Max Verstappen, Perez, Gasly, Sonoda's car, is designed by a lot of the people who actually designed the previous uh, Mercedes-AMG powertrains in past years. They uh, were poached from, uh, you know, Bricksworth, and they came over to Milton Keynes this summer to develop a new, uh, I guess, the Red Bull powertrains uh, Mark One or Prototype One. But it really was just kind of scary to see how fast the um, the Red Bulls were. Uh, there was a point in time, Justin, I know we joked about this when we were in Hungary when um, Latifi set a fast lap and Charles's engineer told Latifi that, or told Charles that, oh, like Latifi set this time on the inters. And then Charles was like, oh, what? On the inters? <laughs> and the exact same thing happened this weekend. I think Max set like a 145.5 or something on a set of softs or mediums. I can't remember. And Charles was just... I think flabbergasted is the right word by what his car couldn't do or what he couldn't do personally. So that was really interesting to see. Obviously, we knew that Max, Charles, I believe who Bottas, Norris, Schumacher. Am I missing someone else who like started with, from the back of the with grid? penalties? No, dude, there were so many. I feel like it was almost the best weekend to kind of take advantage of that because mm -hmm. of how many of the front runners were starting with engine penalties or some type of penalty. And, you know, if everyone's taking them, then like... I guess the blow on your own performance lessens a little bit because you're like, okay, I'm taking this hit, but so is everyone around me. But mm -hmm. like you said, that whole tech directive with the floor, we both thought going into this race that maybe Mercedes would then be ahead on pace because, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari haven't really developed that kind of mm -hmm. floor. And once they get hit with the technical directives, maybe they won't be as good. But like you said, Ferrari seem to be the only one that have gotten hit from it. I truly yeah. don't know what's going on with that Red Bull. I would love like I would love if at the end of a season, obviously this won't yeah. happen because like the regs are still very very new and lots of things mm -hmm. carry over year after year. But I would love if like at the end of an era if there is like this cool little documentary about like the exact tech and the mm. exact like ideology yeah. behind how they designed the car. I mean, I have mm -hmm. How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey right over there on my <laughs> bookshelf and it's amazing hearing his perspectives and ideas on what goes into building an effective race car. But obviously, books become outdated very quickly when it's a race car that gets developed better and better every year and things change. So you obviously don't get a sense of what might be happening this year in that book. But I still think like getting the perspectives from that book make it make it an extremely high want for me to learn how these cars work and learn what they're doing in the factories and how they're finding all this time and what sorcery dark magic Red Bull has to pull out <laughs> these insane numbers because I think Martin Brundle said that with DRS, the Red Bulls had like a 30 kph advantage over any other given car. Mm -hmm. And that's what it looked like. I mean, when we watched Max past Max pass Alonzo, I actually thought that Alonzo was just straight forfeiting the position. And you know, he yeah. kind of was. He pulled off to the side a little bit. I just didn't realize that the car was genuinely just that much faster. Mm -hmm. I thought Fernando was coasting so he wouldn't have to fight Max, but no, the the Red Bull was absolutely just dominating them there. So yeah, I I don't know if any other car really stands a chance chance through the rest of the season. I know at the end of the race today, Carlos said that Zanvoort might be pretty good for the Ferraris, and then Monza mm -hmm. is where Red Bull's really probably going to dominate. But honestly, with how the car performed in Hungary and how it performed today, I think. 
every race you just have to like the advantage has to be given to Red Bull and Sash I yeah. know me and you often we are not sports betters just for <laughs> just for the record Sashwa and I have never bet money on sports personally I never will Sashwa I think has also expressed that he has no interest in, yeah. in it at all however we are both very interested in lines that are set and like what Vegas mm-hmm. thinks of what's going to happen and despite starting in P14 yep. Max was still favorited to win this race and to me that just shows how confident everyone is in that car and how unlikely it is that anyone else even has a remote chance. And you know what? They were right. So, I mean, like <laughs> at this point, there's there's nothing that can be done the rest of the season for any of the other teams. I think Ferrari just have to continue holding off Mercedes like they did today. Obviously, not really much to their own volition, more to the volition of Fernando Alonso, or <laughs> even further so, the fault of Lewis Hamilton, which yeah. I guess we'll talk about when we touch on the race but yeah i can't sing the praises of red bull enough just what an amazing weekend Mm -hmm. from them but we can just go straight into the race unless you have any other thoughts about this topic i mean justin the one thing that stood out to me in quali was there was somehow yet another ferrari strategy just bungling oh yeah tell me about this so in q3 obviously both Ferraris made it there. I think the point was that, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari obviously were trying to get their second drivers, being Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz, onto the front row or even on pole position. Um, because, you know, we saw it today, Justin Sainz obviously started on pole. And the start he got over Perez, both the initial race start as well as the safety car restart after Hamilton and Bottas's incidents, you know, it was it, it was very important to be on pole, I think. Um, especially this season when you have free tire choice and you're not bound to your uh, Q2 set of tires as we were last year and in years before. But, you know, we saw that Charles Leclerc was trying to act as a tow machine for Carlos down the Camel Strait because in sector one, all of your time is gained in the first corner, which is La Source. And if you get any sort of speed advantage, whether it's DRS or even on top of that, a tow down the Camel Strait, you are absolutely going to be dusting any competition you have. And in fairness, the, the tow did work. Ferrari were able to tow Carlos Sainz pretty effectively down that long straight. And, you know, it worked out pretty well. But what issue the issue that ended up happening was that to actually give Carlos the tow... Ferrari put Charles on a new set of soft tires, which are usually reserved for, obviously, you know, fast laps on your own, not when you're towing a teammate. And Spa is a pretty long lap, Justin. It's a seven-kilometer long lap. We talked about this. It's the only race under, you know, 50 laps, Jetta being the, you know, longest after this. But it is kind of what it is. Um, it ended up working out, I think, for Ferrari. I mean, you know, we'll talk about the race and how Charles' race ended uh, pretty catastrophically, I would say, just considering everything this weekend has been. But it's just like, what are these decisions that are going on here? And I don't know, man. I As much as we can, like, shit Ferrari for, like, haha, you can't put even, like, you can't even put tires on properly. Like, it is truly concerning how much, like, the team as a whole. And I think Justin... Outside of probably Red Bull and Mercedes, Ferrari are probably like the largest and most well-funded team. I don't think that's a like yeah, no, it's not even close either. Like, and Ferrari is Italian motorsport. That is exactly their whole identity. Yeah, so they should definitely be better than this. this. And and the whole thing is, this isn't a unique one-off issue. And Mm -hmm. we've talked touched on this in previous episodes. At this point, it genuinely just feels like a Ferrari cultural issue because. Like we've mentioned so many times before, this goes all the way back to Sebastian Vettel as well, who hasn't even raced there in a few years. And we saw 
pit mistake after pit mistake after strategy mistake after so many different things. And it's still mm-hmm. happening to this day. Like this does not happen to any other team. And I don't think you yeah. can just be like, oh man, we got unlucky again. Like this is just a team making very active mistakes all the time. And yeah. at that point, I think you just kind of have to throw out the whole house and then just restaff. <laughs> like if that means throwing Mattia Bonotto under the bus, then like, so be it. I don't care that he's been there that long. If the team is this unsuccessful under him, then like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And obviously, obviously it's a really weird stance to take, right? Because Red Bull clear in a way <laughs> have the best car yeah, and absolutely. Ferrari are still sitting P2 in the Constructors' Championship. And I guess at the beginning of the year, it was like, oh, it's going to be Charles V. Max. And we very quickly mm-hmm. realized that it's going to be Max. And it's not by any mistake of Ferrari, like that Max is going to win. The Red Bull's just that much better. But I feel mm-hmm. like there is just so many moments that you can think of where Ferrari can at least like increase their chances slightly or give themselves a better shot to win a race or have a better quality performance. And, you know, F1 is all about these small edges, these tenths of seconds. And Ferrari always seem to just throw those small little chances away and Red Bull gets the advantage on every single one. And then that's why you see races like this where Max Verstappen starting from P14 and he's in P1 for the rest of the race by like lap 18. So if you're Ferrari, like I get it, you're second in WCC and that's probably where you should aim for the rest of the season. But that being said, if they do not finish P2 and WCC, you have to fire Mattia Bonotto. I like that is an abject failure. If you do not accomplish that at this point, I think this is like kind of a conflicting point for me, right? Because I think Mattia Bonotto deserves to go regardless of, you know what the rest of this year looks like i don't think ferrari have that kind of like killer mindset underneath him you know when gene todd when stefano dominicali were in charge of that operation we saw team orders employed so effectively we saw that like ruthless dedication to one prioritizing schumacher but also two like prioritizing the team as a whole and i understand that like mattia benotto will never you know publicly say that like oh yes i am going to team order carlos Sainz to get out of the way that's Okay, obviously fine. It is what it is. But the fact that like they cannot even produce results when they have a car and I would say at least one, sometimes two drivers that are capable of those results is crazy. Now, I can talk about Mattia Binotto and his like lack of, you know, prescient leadership as much as I want. But also Justin, it just like it sucks, right? Because by all measures, this is a vast improvement to what Ferrari were last year, if you think about it. They are up one it position is. in constructors. You know, Charles is P3. He was P7 last year in the in the driver standings. Carlos is P4. He was P5 last year. You know, they're building a gap over Mercedes, who have been unseated at the top of the tables. Like, this, sh- like, as much as we should be, I don't think we're talking positively enough about Ferrari because, like, despite their success, it just seems so, like, backwards, if that makes any sense, right? Like, yeah, you're doing better, but are you, like, does it, it doesn't feel better, right? I, I guess is, is the best way to put it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there there's a lot to talk about on this topic, and maybe during the summer, mm-hmm. we should do, like, a whole kind of introspective view into Ferrari this season and, like, mm-hmm. how they operated, but we yeah. should probably start talking about, you know, the race itself. Yeah. Obviously, lap one, you you always see fun in lap one, especially Mm -hmm. in a race like Spa, where there's just like a million spots to overtake. We mentioned it so many times in the formation lap. This is just a great, great racetrack. And I'm so Mm -hmm. glad, 
um, that I saw your text this morning that they're going to be back here in 2023 because I would have mm-hmm. been so disappointed if they weren't. And I know you're like, oh, we are, we're so sad about Paul. I do not care about Paul <laughs> Ricard, okay? Like, it's not that great of a racetrack. It is so boring. There's no scenery. I, I'm not oh, happy okay. seeing blue and red stripes <laughs> all over the track. That's, like, not a cool view. And I don't know. It's it's just maybe a personal opinion mm-hmm. of mine. But, yeah, glad we're seeing Spa. Lap one, Signs was on the soft, so we knew he was going to have the tire advantage, but that mm-hmm. jump he got was so, so absurd. Yeah. I mean, like, by the end of lap one, he was, a, I felt, like, over two seconds clear. Not exactly yeah. sure. I wasn't paying attention. But the real story there was, like, okay, is Checo going to overtake him or not? But then Checo, like, kind of tried to cut off the inside and ended up losing, like, three or four places because of it, right? Yeah, I believe Checo actually got, like, dropped like multiple places um i think what hamilton i mean alonzo was starting in p what three and i think he overtook into p2 i think hamilton and russell also significantly made up places which is obviously all fine and well like you know things happen on lap one it is what it is i think even if the chaos at the front hadn't have happened i don't think checo would have struggled that much i mean we saw how powerful that red bull was i mean obviously we didn't know it on lap one but that's totally fine um you know i also think justin like that lap one, I mean, I know we have it written here in our notes, right, where there is that Alonzo-Hamilton contact and significant damage to Lewis's car, and then therefore a Hamilton DNF, which I would also like to note was his first DNF since Monza last year. That's um, absurd. Also, we yeah. have to talk about like that Lewis interview in the middle of the race. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's much more to say about science. I mean, I think we can just talk about it. I mean, you know, at first... I will always, I'm, I'm very admittedly a Fernando Alonso hater. Um, so at first glance, when I saw that contact, I was like, great fucking Fernando Alonso. He's just salty and bitter about 2007, 15 years later upon watching onboards and the replays, it was very distinctly Hamilton's fault. That was, he definitely tried to take too much space there. And like you said, Justin, that Hamilton interview, I think was very, very big of him. He admitted that, you know, Alonso was in my blind spot. I didn't, you know, check like. I could have been better. It was my fault. I think, you know, I really hope that there's no more like extra bad blood. I mean, like I know Fernando's just a big They already don't man, like but... each other, you know. Here yeah. we let me let me give the exact Alonzo quote. So, sure. they cut to the Alonzo radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they cut to the Alonzo radio after this happened. And Fernando Alonzo goes, "Yeah, what an idiot closing the door from the outside." I mean, we had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive <laughs> and start in first. And I was like, you know, we always talk about how Fernando Alonso hates Lewis because, mm-hmm. you know, of blood, bad blood from like over a decade ago. But yeah. to still be that mad about it, it is so obvious that he like just clearly has this pure hatred for Lewis Hamilton and mm-hmm. he doesn't really deserve it, obviously. It's like super unnecessary at this point. But like shout out to how Lewis handled that in the interview. The interviewer was asking Lewis how, what he thought of the crash and obviously – Lewis was like, yeah, it was my fault. Like he owned up to it, which you love to see from a driver because I feel like every time they're going to be like, oh man, the other person like closed me in or let me off the track. And you don't really hear a driver Mm -hmm. being like, yeah, I turned in. So it's very big of Lewis to admit it. But as soon as she starts asking, she like leads into this type of question where she's like, and after that, uh, Fernando said, and then he cuts her off and he goes like, it doesn't really matter what he said. Like it was my fault. I I don't really Mm -hmm. care what he said at this point, which is very, I think it shows how much 
greater Lewis's, I feel like, than Fernando. And don't get me wrong, Fernando's a two-time WDC winner. He's a legend of the sport, but he really does have to let this all behind him. And, like, obviously, Lewis truly doesn't care anymore what you think of him. (laughs) And he knows this is all just words. And, like, it's just so stupid for him to make comments like that in the middle of a race. Like, dude, just get over it and drive on. I understand you're in a high adrenaline situation, but, like... That one felt like you were sitting on it for a while and we're just waiting <laughs> to put that on the radio publicly. Yeah, it's like, um, I don't know if you've seen this one TikTok um, about like the Dark Knight Rises, but you know how like Bane in the Dark Knight Rises had like all of those like killer quotes and people are like, there's no way he like just said this off the dome. Like he definitely wrote these down and he was like, when I'm fighting Batman, <laughs> I'm going to like deliver bars like victory has defeated you. Peace has cost you your strength. Like come on man that's like some shit you write down and like rehearse and practice but i think <laughs> i think fernando alonso like at the end of the day right like uh, he's what a 32 time grand prix winner he's a 22 time pole sitter like he's undoubtedly one of the greats of the sport he's you know not many people can say they have won a formula one world championship not to mention multiple as fernando alonso has again Lewis has seven of those. He has 103 race wins. He has 103 poles. Like, I don't think Lewis is concerned. I think Lewis has moved on. He's in a different stage, a different realm altogether. I think, you know, it happens. Lewis made a mistake, right? Like, and I think this is the this is the issue that a lot of people will always have with Lewis Hamilton. He or people are always kind of just waiting for that one slip up or that one mistake for him to make, right? Like, because people just like, you know, again, not to like quote something that's on TikTok often, but like the one thing they love to see more than a hero succeed is to like fail or die trying. Like the thing that Norman Osborn says. Oh yeah, the Spider-Man. I love that quote. It's a great quote, but like, it just feels like, you know, last year with, you know, everything that the intensity of a battle with Red Bull and Max was, and obviously the struggle of this year and just people kind of wanting to see something new. Like people are always going to be looking for Lewis Hamilton to make that, you know, one stupid, simple mistake that like, if we go back, Justin, I'm sure we can find another driver making a similar mistake this season, like closing the door on the outside or like, you know, not giving enough space and it causing a DNF or causing an accident or causing contact. And, you know, like it just happens in racing and thankfully no one was hurt. You know, I think that's what we can walk away with it from. I don't think that like there's anything more. And honestly, Justin, I think when it comes to this race, I would really like to talk about the man, the myth, the Dutch oh, legend, yes. Max Emilian Verstappen. <laughs> okay. Before you say anything, I just need to bring mm-hmm. up this text that you sent me yesterday because whenever I have an I told you so moment, I need to bring it up on the podcast. So yesterday you sent me a Is this tweet the pit lane and- thing? Yeah. Yeah, this is the okay, pit lane okay, thing. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So do not interrupt me because I was right sure. and you were wrong and I need to rub yeah, it in your no, face. No, you were right. You were definitely right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yesterday, Sashwat sends me a tweet. And along with the tweet, he sends, this is a better idea than most people will admit, given how fast he was today. <laughs> that tweet saying, Verstappen should start from the pit lane, avoid the lap one risks, and try to become the first driver ever to win an <laughs> F1 race after starting from the pits. Now, could he have done that? Maybe. He was absurd today. But what I responded to Sashwa immediately was, that makes no sense. He'll make up the most places on lap one. I guess I understand the thought process, but... And then I just stopped responding because I was like, this is an idiotic (laughs) thought. And lo and behold, Max Verstappen gained six places on lap one, going to P8 from P14. Mm -hmm. And so, as... As you mentioned, you know, he should start from the pit lane. No, he should not. Like, that doesn't make 
any sense. And it's so much easier to dunk on it now that the race happened. So I can use like the empirical evidence of the race to support my claim. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to rub it in your face that I was totally right about that. And, okay, you know, you, you at least you can own that it was it was a it wasn't the greatest so, opinion. But I, I do understand your thought process. No, I mean, my counterpoint to that is, Justin, Pierre Gasly started from the pit lane and ended P9. Um, I think we can agree that Pierre Gasly is, is in a yeah, much it, slower it's car. It's totally feasible that he could have won from the pit yeah. lane. Sure, sure. And like again, the counterpoint is also that Max m- said multiple times he was trying to avoid the chaos in front of him when he got to basically what was the Lacombe chicane. Uh, what is that? Turn five and six at Spa. But you know, I, like I, you know, j- like okay, Justin, just to entertain this discussion, do you think he would have won if he started from the pits today, just based on how fast his car was? Oh yeah, dude, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I think he easily wins from the pits today. If Pierre Gasly yeah. can go to P nine from the pits, then like yeah, come on, are we are we being serious here? Yes, exactly. Um, but again, I think, but it, also I think like, you also don't out. know, right? Because like mm. those six places then become infinitely harder to pass. If you start from the That's pit lane, true. I mean, we saw that with Charles Leclerc being stuck in the DRS train and he mm-hmm. was only passing like one car lap. If that, because he, everyone had DRS and he couldn't gain an advantage on them. So if yeah. that happened to Max, like who knows what would have happened, but obviously even Charles got up to like P five at one point. So I guess yeah. like even if that did happen, Max probably still could have won because his car is also just like absurd with DRS compared to Charles's. Yeah, I mean, I I think like Justin, you know, I texted you during the race, I, or was it? Yeah, I think it was during the race after Max had solidly taken the lead of the race. But you know, we were talking. You know, despite starting from four grid places lower this weekend, and you know how impressive this is. This is Justin. I believe uh, Crofty said this on the call that. This is the first time in 60 plus years that races have been won back to back from P10 or like, and the, the winning drivers started P10 or lower. And I think levels in, to greatness. I, there are levels think, to greatness. Ashwat. I think it was 1959. Uh, it was one of the races in 1959, the last race of 59. And then the first race in Argentina, the Argentine Grand Prix in 1960, where, and I think it was two distinct drivers. I don't know that for sure, but the fact that Max has done that twice like what was the thing you texted me um i'm gonna find this uh one minute. which one um wow didn't like have it prepared about, oh. see when you texted me something that i was right about <laughs> i had that ready because i wanted to use it against no, you as soon as i have I it could. here so you texted me two races ago lowest position max has ever won from p5 one race ago lowest position max has won from is now p10 today lowest position max will have won from if he wins the race p14 like and I immediately responded to you first to last challenge at Zonvort question mark like I, <laughs> it would that would be absurd at Zonvort I'm just saying yeah I mean it's hard to overtake there it has a lot of hungry vibes but I think I think Max is going to be totally fine at Zonvort he's going to put on a show for his home fans just like he did last year I don't know Justin I mean you know we saw that Max obviously extended his soft stint at the beginning he was pulling out time on Checo once he passed him I think oh, it was yeah. on like lap 11 12 13 and then I think he pitted on lap 14 or something like that for mediums but the fact that like and and we saw this phenomenon in Canada right where Max necessarily might not have had the slower car or the faster car or other cars behind him might have had DRS or fresher tires or some sort of other advantage but just the way he's able to like will himself and that car into these you know time gaining positions or the fact that like you know we saw George Russell gaining seconds and seconds on Carlos Sainz towards the end of the race like the 30 something lap phase and we saw Max just kind of maintaining and cruise control and just lap after lap after lap after lap. Um, it just really speaks to, like, his ability to drive well and his ability to, like, focus in. And, 
like i genuinely don't know justin how does max not get bored in the car like <laughs> yeah you're like i remember you being like oh man he should listen to music or something but like one of the most important parts of all that right is that i think it was when he was passing daniel ricardo and he he did a bit of a riskier overtake i think it was like through a chicane I, i'm not completely mm-hmm. sure where it was but i forget if it was uh brundle or crofty who was like yeah, Max will always take those chances whenever he gets them because he would rather pull mm-hmm. out ahead than waste three seconds fighting him somewhere else. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's just the story of Max's career. He just will always go for the most optimal time, no matter yeah. the risk, which being such a good driver, the risk is mitigated so much. And being in the best car, the risk mm-hmm. is mitigated even more. And it just gives him all these chances to pull out ahead and win these races. And I feel like... Yeah. This is definitely going, like, we're going to look back on this season, depending on how the rest of it goes, but I feel like we will look back on this season in five years and be like, this was one of the most well-driven seasons of all time, like we do with a lot of, like, the Lewis Hamilton years, where it's like, yeah, he had the best car, but Lewis Hamilton was just, like, such a clean driver, and he made such effortless overtakes to give himself, like, the best position Mm -hmm. to win, and that's how he won so many WDCs, and yeah. You know, obviously it's so early to be saying this, but like just looking at this individual season so far, is mm-hmm. that Max's ninth win or eighth win or nine, like, nine out of 14 yeah, wins, nine out of 14 wins. That is like truly absurd. And it looks like he's going to be breaking the uh, single season win record. record and maybe he won't win single season win percent, but still it's a great mm-hmm. like feat on its own. And I think he yeah. will clinch a lot earlier than we think for the WDC. Yeah. I mean, I think what is probably going to happen. I mean, see, Justin, I would say that he's going to clinch at Japan, but he genuinely, actually, I think, I don't know exactly now what the number is for his clinching scenario. I think Japan might now be like the ideal or the most optimal or like mathematically likely place for him to clinch just based on Leclerc's finishing positions. Like, you know, it is what it is. But I mean, if we just look again, Justin, I'm going to ask you this question. We have Zanfort, Monza, Singapore, Japan, Circuit of the Americas, Mexico City, Sao Paulo, and Abu Dhabi. That is, what, eight races remaining. Can he win? Can he break that record? Do you, do you think he has, like, what it takes? And as a follow-up question, um, this is actually something I was discussing with my dad um, on the drive down to school yesterday while I was coming to set up my apartment, is that do you think that, let's say, for discussion's sake, um, Max clinches the title in Japan at Suzuka, do you think he just, like goes in and he's like you know with that kind of more of that fuck you attitude and he just tries to win the last four races because like oh yeah dude are you kidding me max is a racer at heart (laughs) like we talk about so many times he's probably on i racing right now as we're recording this (laughs) podcast just racing more i think like i was about to say looking at these these final four tracks in coda mexico brazil and abu dhabi like Mm -hmm. I think Max can easily win all those races. If it is any, if those cars are anything like how they were today, I think he wins those races without a doubt. And then, you know, maybe he has trouble in Zonvort. Singapore will depend on where he qualifies. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it depends on where he qualifies. I think he's in control of that. Monza should be an absolute lock for him. And <laughs> at this point, like, like, no, I'm dead serious. Like, who... What, what car can beat him where? You know, street circuits are always yeah. a toss-up. And if he DNFs, he DNFs. But if he does not DNF, I think... Like, I think he could win every single race for the rest of the season. I wouldn't, like, it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. And, you know, maybe Ferrari or Mercedes pull out, like, a fluke win somewhere, or they have a very great strategy. And, you know, the car ends up being better that weekend. But Mm -hmm. given the car's current pace, given what we saw this weekend in quali, 
in the race today, how he started from P14, how he performed mm-hmm. in that first lap. I think that there's just no one that can stop him right now. I think we are witnessing mm-hmm. the prime of maybe one of the greatest drivers ever. And it's very nice to see that after also seeing the prime of the greatest driver ever in the past seven years. So it's kind of like a passing the torch moment, almost seeing Max completely dominate an entire Mm -hmm. field like this. Very reminiscent of Interlagos when Lewis started like from the back and then eventually won after the sprint, after the real race. And Mm -hmm. I I don't even know. I mean, I I can talk for hours and hours about how great he is, but like at the end of the day, it's just like. That, that car is is so good, dude. It like, yeah. I remember yeah. you we were watching a race and you were just like, oh my God, it, it can't be that fast. Every every single day you're like, that car has to be illegal. There's just no way that's within <laughs> regs. And like, honestly, I get it. Like, how are they so much better? Like, are we going to find out in a few years time that they had an illegal power unit and we're going to have to put a little <laughs> asterisk on this season? Who knows? But right now, all we can... In- all we can do is just mm-hmm. enjoy what we're seeing and watch Max Verstappen get his second WDC and start yeah. his way towards, I guess, one of the most prolific F1 careers ever. Yeah. I mean, I think we can both agree that he has like, you know, he's, I think he's to draw an NFL comparison, Justin, he's kind of in that Patrick Mahomes space right now where we all recognize his talent. He's proven himself once he's, you know, continuing to prove himself week in, week out. He still has a long way to go before, you know, we can probably slap that, you know, best driver or even put him in that kind of greatest of all time conversation. I mean, just looking at the numbers right now, Justin, Max, as of today, now has 29 Formula One Grand Prix wins. He is two behind Nigel Mansell and three behind Fernando Alonso at 31 and 32, respectively. And he's going to pass them both by the end of this year. So that will put Max at uh, 32. Let's just say he gets to 32 wins, or even if we say like he wins four more races, right? And he ties the single season record, if we want to take that as the contention point. Sure. He'll be, at six, he'll be at sixth place with 33 race wins. The next number is Ayrton Senna at 41. And then after that, you have Prost at 51. And then you have the final three of Vettel at 53, Schumacher all the way at 91, and then Hamilton at 103. Um, and those are many years down the line. It obviously depends on yeah. how the car is in the next few exactly. years. But if it's anything like this year and we see a stretch of dominance from Red Bull, mm-hmm. it's not unreasonable unreasonable to think he could get to those numbers eventually. Although, again, very yeah. farsighted. We have a lot of time exactly. between then and now. Exactly. And, you know, Justin, I, <laughs> it was another thing that I like kind of thought about. And I know you're a you're a big fan of chess. And we were we were talking about this one day. Um and you were telling me about, you know, how Magnus Carlsen is no longer defending his uh, world title next next year, I believe, um, at the 2023 Masters Tournament and how... Uh, world Ian, Chess Championship. Ian, Get it right, Nepo- dude. Nepomnichi, is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Jan Nepomnichi. Jan Nepomnichi, and he's playing Ding Li Ren, right? And you were telling me yep. how, like, Ding Li Ren is, like, this machine kind of, like, invented by the Chinese government to, like, win chess matches. Whoa, it whoa, I like- did not say that. <laughs> Jesus, dude, I did... No, no, no. <laughs> First like, of all, like, that is such a like, horrible... He- like what I meant to say was like the way you like spoke about him was that like he's like a computer like he can see ahead of like yeah that's so that is things. what I said I was like he can see yeah. so far ahead and makes these insane moves like super far and ahead of yeah. time it's like yeah that, like <laughs> thought and like dominance um is like I don't know is that like what we like Max just seems like he like he just knows going into a weekend exactly how he's going to approach each track like each corner 
you know, and it feels like Justin for <laughs> for the free practice sessions. Like, do you think for Max, he's actually like collecting data and practicing, or do you think he's like literally just going around and driving for fun? Like, he's just like, I'm bored of iRacing. I want to drive an actual car. So oh, I don't know. Drive. I feel like I'm, I think he's so dedicated to. I mean, like everyone is just super dedicated to their craft when they're in F1. They mm-hmm. they're all doing stuff to learn all the time, and obviously the car is always going to be performing different. So they have to get mm-hmm. their car with the right setup for the weekend, and that's mainly what these practice sessions are for. So I'm sure that's what he's doing. I don't think he's like hopping in the car and being like, all right, let's go (laughs) have some fun. Now, I'm sure it's less stressful for him because he knows he has the best car. So having like a decent setup isn't as important as say like the Mercedes where they're like, all right, we're a top contending team, but only when we have like the car set up very, very well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously that probably contributes to why he does so well in the races is because he already has the best car and then he gets pretty good setups. I mean, we didn't see any complaints from him today about balance or anything, and we haven't seen too much of that this season. I think there was an incident in Imola maybe where he was like, yeah, the balance is all off. But since then, I haven't really seen anything. But I know I know, I don't want to be the one to transition, but we we have to start talking about something That's other true. than Max Verstappen. And that is true. I, I think... Um, Obviously, the next thing you have to look at is Charles Leclerc, the person who was second in the championship before Checo overtook him. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, he could have had a much better race. And he started in P16 right behind Max. He ended up getting stuck in a DRS train in the beginning behind like five cars and was having a lot of trouble getting past people. And Pierre Gasly was almost having a defensive masterclass on Charles. But he ended up finishing the race P6 when he should have finished P5 because he sped? Like, where where was the speeding? In the pit lane? Okay. Or? Yeah, so I, I guess, Justin, I'm just going to take this moment to, like, run through Brad of the Week because this is probably the best. Yeah, this is, this is the absolute Brad of the Week moment right here. So, obviously, we saw this a lot last year when the title was close where um, someone like Sergio Perez or Max Verstappen would pit if Lewis was leading the race by a clear margin and they would try to steal one point for the fastest lap point, both for the constructor as well as the driver's championship. Totally valid. Totally fine. The championship last year was close enough that I think it was warranted. This year, I don't think it is because, you know, even, let's just say, Justin, even if Charles was in P2 and he was, you know, chasing Max and he had like 50 seconds to P3, do you think he should have pitted for one point? Like it would have been 18 versus 19 points. Like, do you think he should have pitted? I don't think so either. No, you know, absolutely not. Yeah. It's, it's just a dumb move. He was in P5 and what happened was on lap 42, um, when he was in sector three, we see that Ferrari call him into pit for a set of softs. Okay, fine. I guess it works. He has a gap over Alonso, or so we thought. Um, what basically ends up happening is that Charles then speeds in the pit lane on accident, and obviously his stop is a little slow. And what happens is that he gets overtaken by Alonso then down the Camel Straight because Alonso got a good exit out of La Source, uh, you know. Charles was still accelerating out of the pits, and then it just seemed like Ferrari had thrown away what was a P5 finish for P6, and like, okay, it's a couple points here and there, but it is what it is, like, you move on. Now, thankfully, Charles ended up overtaking Alonso on lap 44, and ended up setting the fastest lap, so he got his position, and he ended up achieving the goal he wanted to. Then after the race, Justin, we're watching the, like, little cooldown room thing or pre-cooldown room thing, and we just see, like, this FIA banner come on the top of the broadcast, and it said, five-second time penalty for speeding in the pit lane, driver number 16. 
And it was just a heartbreaker that Ferrari costed him like that again. Because one, was one point really worth that position? Like, I don't, I don't think it was in the large scheme of things. Like, if you're being realistic, I think, you know, if, if you ask Mattia Binotto or you ask, you know, Padros or you ask Adami, either of the race engineers for the drivers at Ferrari, if you ask them, is this, is this title fight over? They're going to say no. But Justin, they are unfortunately the optimists on a team of okay. complete defeatists. <laughs> but the thing is, he didn't even get the fastest lap. Max had Wait, the fastest lap. No, Max got the fastest lap. Oh my god, yeah. Max wow, finished right. the weekend with 26 points. So Charles dropped from a P5 <laughs> to a P6 and just lost points there. Because, because he didn't get the fastest lap. And I was truly amazed. I was truly amazed. I was like, wow, this is risky. Like, he should be able to pull ahead of Fernando with, like, the last lap. He's going to be on softs. They're going to fire up quickly. We saw them fire up quickly on the first lap of the race. And, you know, he'll be a few tenths behind. And, you know, we were right. He did eventually end up passing him. But Max still ended with the fastest lap. So it became completely useless. And then the speeding in the pit lane caused him to drive drop from P5 to P6. And that is just... A horrible, horrible mistake. I mean, at the end of the season, the Mercedes-Ferrari battle could hypothetically come down to a few points, and that can be the difference. And if that is the difference, like that amount of points between P5 and P6, oh my, I, Mattia Bonotto will have a six-feet grave underneath yeah. the Ferrari, like, factory. Like, that. that is awful. That is awful. Yeah, I think, you know, Bonotto is just... Yeah, I don't know what's going on at Ferrari, Justin. I don't think any of us are going to find out what's going on at Ferrari. I mean, actually, rephrase. Maybe next March we'll find out because of Drive to Survive. I am genuinely looking forward to seeing what Drive to Survive has captured when it comes to Ferrari. Because, you know, those first three races of the season, Justin, where they finish one, two, and like they finish first, second, and then first you know, with Charles, right? Like, I think that's just absolutely insane result. Um, and then to see how much it just fell and collapsed and cascaded afterwards i think is just absolutely crazy right like you know look if you look at charles results p1 p2 p1 p6 p like 2 dnf p4 dnf p5 p4 p1 dnf p6 p6 charles leclerc has finished in p6 as many times as he's won a race <laughs> yeah think about that's that. It's not a good look. That is really tough, dude. Oh my god. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Like, and if you look, Justin, the last time Max, like, in a car that wasn't damaged, like, he's been on the podium every race if his cars functioned properly or he didn't, like, DNF. Like... I'm and that's what great championship Britain. winners do. And this is that's by true. no means Charles's fault. I oh, feel yeah, like his yeah. career is just being tanked. And I feel bad because he could have had a very great season. And I honestly mm -hmm. still think he could get second in WDC. But if Ferrari keep, you know, pulling these weird things, then like the difference between P5 and P6 today, I mean, aren't, yeah, Checo and Charles are only three points at difference i think that's like a smaller difference than the difference between p5 and p6 so p5 yeah, p6 yeah, yeah. is two points so oh it's, damn okay it's like one point but like still it's like that's the whole points, point yeah. like this could yeah. be a very slim margin at the end of the year and you know charles getting p2 in a wdc is a lot more impressive than p3 mm -hmm. now p3 is not bad by any means but like when you have the opportunity yeah. you have to do the best you can so oh mm -hmm. that's that's tough to watch but kind of straying away from you know the front runners for a bit 
I feel like someone who was massively overlooked this way race was Esteban Ocon. I mean, he killed it on the track today. He was one of those people who just started with all the grid penalties. And after mm-hmm. everything, he uh, started from 16th. I thought, yeah, yeah, started from 16th because it was Verstappen, then Leclerc, and then Ocon right behind them. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being overshadowed by Leclerc and Verstappen, like I said. But he ended up finishing in P7. Like, that is a very, very good spot to get into. And obviously, we know, like, even Pierre went to P9 from the pit lane. But there were several instances. Actually, there were two instances where, like, one straight or one corner, he overtook two cars. And we were like, Mm -hmm. wow, Daniel Ricciardo did that last week at Hungary. And that was super, super impressive. And it's just equally as impressive here to get past two cars in, Mm -hmm. in one go. So I feel like he needs to be put on, like, your watch list. If you're not watching Esteban Ocon races, I feel like you're missing out on a lot. He, oh, like, yeah. when when I am watching F1 races, I normally have the t- my TV on the main broadcast. I have my laptop on uh, the Max Verstappen POV. And then on the other one, I'll either put on, like, a data channel if I don't actively feel like, you know, swiping through different channels. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just go through a bunch of different driver POVs. But I actually tuned in to Esteban Ocon's today and was pleasantly surprised the entire race seeing how well he did i mean he just looked very very comfortable in the car today and every time he tried to make an overtake it was super clean looked absolutely effortless and honestly i feel like just because he's not in one of those front runner cars he's being overlooked a lot Mm -hmm. but he's had several several great races this season he's an instrumental part of why alpine are ahead of mclaren right now and just like speaking of mclaren Oof, dude, that was an ugly race. I mean, they started P7 and P17, and both of them finished outside of the points. So we can't even particularly Mm -hmm. harp on, like, hating on Daniel Ricciardo like we normally do. Like, they both just had horrible races. And I don't know if it was a car setup because we didn't see too many radios. I wasn't watching them. But if you're McLaren and you're fighting for P4 in the Constructors' Championship, you need to be scoring points every race like the Alpines are doing. And if you're not, then you're going to lose that place. And now they're over 10 points behind Alpine. There's only a few races left. Mm -hmm. You're not scoring 30, 40 points like the top teams are every single weekend. So this is a massive loss for you. And I think you have to do, again, like we always say, some soul searching inside of your post-race sessions and figure out what's going on. Now, I don't know if Daniel Ricciardo, knowing that he's not going to be racing next year, is going to have an impact on how he actually decides to race. But I imagine it would because if he starts racing like even poorer than he already did then why would any team want to take him on and there's obviously still the option that maybe he could get the alpine seat next year or you know Mm -hmm. in a long shot maybe he gets the hoss seat but if they're looking at him and they're like oh wow this dude who started i think p7 ended up finishing p15 in a race where everyone from the back that took engine penalties still ended up getting into the points in a race where alex albon finished ahead of you then why would anyone want to sign him And, like, that's not to say Lando Norris had a great race. I mean, sure, he Mm -hmm. started from P17, but Esteban Ocon started only one place ahead of him, and he finished well into the points. So the fact that he's, uh, the fact that Lando Norris still couldn't even get to P10 is absolutely horrible. And, you know, maybe the car was bad, and maybe I'm being too critical on McLaren right now. But, like, this happens week after week after week. And if you want the fans to stay, then you have to give results, and they are Mm -hmm. not doing that right now. Yeah. I mean, if we want to, like, you know, flashback be, I guess, a little reflective of what it is, right? I mean, 
McLaren, or sorry, excuse me, Alpine double points this weekend, double points in Hungary, double points in France, double points in Austria. Uh, they had a P5 in Great Britain. They had double points in Canada, double points in Baku, single points in Monaco, double points in Spain. Like, there's a pretty consistent chain of double points here. Yeah. Um, for McLaren, obviously, you had your P12, P15 today, not too great. You know, Lando Norris has been 7-7-7-6 in the last four races in reverse order there. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo has been in P9 along with two of those P7s. So, you know, you're getting something, I guess, out of it. I mean, it's just, I think we're finally starting to see just in that, you know, and maybe this is like a bygone conclusion, but that the Alpine is a better car than the McLaren. And we're also just seeing that, you know, Lando Norris cannot... He's one out driving the car, I think, and also two, he's being limited by, you know, from team success. When we consider a driver's role in the team success, he's being limited by the fact that Daniel Ricciardo has been performing so poorly to the point where he is now being bought out. His contract is being bought out by McLaren at the end of the season, right? Like, it's just a very difficult position to be in if you're Lando Norris. But, you know, all credit to Alpine, Justin. They are now, what, 20 points ahead? Yeah, 20 points ahead in the constructor standings. I don't see that gap, like, shrinking. I don't see McLaren really making that comeback. You know, I think this has been a great season for Alpine. I think there will be some, you know, unfortunate bad blood between Otmar Safnauer, Fernando Alonso, maybe some people on the team, Oscar Piastri, whoever it may be. But... I think Alpine will look back at 2022, they'll look back at these new regs and they'll say, you know, we did a great job in our first year moving what from P6, I think it was last year, P5 or P6, all the way up to, you know, P4. Yeah, because I think AlphaTauri got P5 last year, right? Because they had a really good season. I'll check, I'll check. You can continue your point. I'm pretty sure Alpine were P5 and um, AlphaTauri were P6, but my... My point still stands, right? That like I think Alpine can take away that this has been a great season for them, both driver individually. Oh wait, no, no, sorry. Alpine did get P five last year. They finished yeah. ahead. Okay. Um. Oh man, they finished ahead of Alphatari by thirteen points. So. Mm. Okay. It just goes to show that like these points, like it's such a minimal amount between these middle middle field teams, and if you're not getting points every single race, like how Alpine has been consistently, mm-hmm. it's just going to spell trouble for you by the end of the season. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of like putting a button on Alpine. I think our last point about the race, Justin, before we go into our like more fun segments, Alex Albon has made it kind of a habit of standing out in that Williams, a Williams that is very difficult to stand out in, I think. you know, Is he, he confirmed has... going to be back in that car for yes. next year? Okay, yes. good, good. He absolutely yes. deserves it. Yes. And I mean, like, if we look at his, like, past few results, right? So obviously, P10 today in Belgium, a rough P17 outing in Hungary, but then, you know, P13, P12, DNF, P13, P12. Like, he's, I think he's out driving that car very respectfully, right? Like, I don't think we see Williams as this, like, even contender for anything really but the fact that he has gotten a few points what now four points over the course of the season for williams and he's the only one of the two drivers that's scoring points like truly just some great stuff from him i mean i think he very deservedly should be in that seat again and he is in that seat again i i think that's just you know i think we're kind of seeing like a renaissance of his career maybe he's not like the person who should have partnered with max verstappen at red bull two two and a half years ago but it is what it is. I think, you know, things will work out for Alex Albon. I think being at Williams has been a good resurgence for his career so far this year. And I think he's getting praise from not just us, but a lot of people on the internet as well as critics. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, the field is just better than his cars and getting points at all in a Williams is just super impressive. So anytime you see it, it's it's something you definitely have to mention. 
But that's about, I think, all we have to mention from the race. Driver mm-hmm. of the day, I mean, there's no one else you can give it to. It has to be Max. <laughs> you start from P14 and you win a race. Yeah. If you don't win driver of the day, then I don't know what the voting is. I don't think we need to touch on that too much. And yeah. obviously, we already talked about our Brad of the Week being that whole Ferrari shenanigans. But we can just move straight in to pick up the pace then. I think this one is like pretty easy. Both of us think the mm-hmm. same thing here, right? Yeah, it's McLaren, Justin. Yeah, we talked about them and their their inability to score points and, um, you know, bring home a tally of points to compete with Alpine on a regular basis. Um, You know, the point you've made here is that, you know, Ricardo's starting at P7. So in the solid points where Lando Norris has multiple times throughout the season shown that car can finish and then ends out towards the bottom of the bottom half of the cars, right? Like, what's 18 cars finished today and Daniel Ricardo was 15th. I mean, who finished behind him? Like... Pierre, oh no, Mick Schumacher in the Haas, Nicholas Latifi in a Williams, and uh, Kevin Magnussen in the... So the two Haases and Nicholas Latifi is all that was behind Daniel Ricciardo today. Horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we can talk about Haas, Justin, a little bit. And I mean, not that we have to talk about Haas, I think that this was just... Like, it just wasn't a, a great weekend for them. Like, yeah. there, it's not like McLaren where you're expecting... Like, they need to be scoring points every weekend because obviously the car isn't as good as McLaren, but... You know, Haas, Haas gets their points when they need to. Mm-hmm. And I think they're still P7 in the constructors right now. And AlphaTauri is creeping a little bit. They're only five points ahead of AlphaTauri at this point. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look like they're going to catch up to Alfa Romeo unless they get a little bit lucky. Obviously, they got lucky with the Baltas DNF because of the Latifi incident today. But mm-hmm. yeah, Haas, Haas doesn't score points. And you're not expecting them to every race. But with the McLarens who are in a P4 battle, like it's a lot different. You have to look at those two two constructors very, very differently when you're evaluating how a race ended. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's like a good place to put a pin and pick up the pace. We over we went over Brad of the Week, Justin. <laughs> it's the Ferrari pit wall. You know, I think we can just say Ferrari pit wall, Brad of the Week, and move on. I think people can draw their own conclusions. We yeah, must they all they watch are. the race. We they know what yeah. they they know what happened. <laughs> yeah. So we can podium Justin. I guess I can kick off with bronze and then you can move up. Sure. Williams getting points, Justin, as you so adequately put at the beginning of our episode, no longer Williams, as always, with three points. Now it's Williams, as always, with four points until the next time they score. You know, <laughs> Albon started P6. I think that's a great position for him. He was, at, before this weekend, the only driver in the field to not make Q3. He made Q3 this weekend on his own merit, by the way, which is a great drive from him to start. Um, he started in P6. He managed to stay up. He put in a great drive today. And I think P10 is more than enough for what Williams could have asked for from him. I think that's just more than enough. I think, you know, he's standing out in that Williams and it's a very difficult job for him. So great job, Alex Albon. Yeah, definitely deserving of a weekend podium. I mean, again, every time the Williams are in the points, you have to just like at least mention it. Um, in mm-hmm. silver, we have Russell pin- finishing in P4. Obviously, the Mercedes firefight with Ferrari is going to be going on with the for the rest of the season. So Mm -hmm. when Lewis Hamilton, you know, is out of the race after like one and a half laps, or I don't, maybe it was the first lap. I don't exactly remember. Yeah, it was the first lap. Lewis Hamilton's out. Now it's on your shoulders to get good points so that you don't fall too far behind. Obviously, you were only, I think, 30 points behind heading into the weekend. Now you're a few more behind. But um, he ended up sandwiching himself between the, well, he would have sandwiched himself between the Ferraris had Fernando Alonso not gotten past um, Charles Leclerc with the five-second speeding penalty but putting yourself between those ferraris is obviously super impressive he almost even finished on the podium had carlos not gotten the best of him by the end of the race but still it's very important for that wcc battle we know how much money goes to those p2 mm-hmm. versus p3 and how substantial it is right. and you know keeping your team in that is super key especially with only like 
I don't know, six or seven races remaining. I don't mm-hmm. know the exact amount off the top of my head. But, you know, it's just important to have um, a, a teammate who can pull through like that. When you're Lewis right, Hamilton right. and you're used to winning the WCC, obviously it's going to be tough. And he had a very good partner in Valtteri Baltas the past seven years. Mm-hmm. And they won like every time together. But now having George Russell able to get these super good positions, even when they have arguably the third best car in the grid, it's 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 insanely key for them um, yeah. in this WCC battle. So I think Russell's performance is going to go overlooked today just because he didn't get on the podium, but he has to be celebrated here. It's yeah. it's super important in terms of the rest of the season, and it's one of those things that you're going to be able to look back on, as we always say at the end of the season, with these marginal point differences and be like, you know, that's a spot where, where they mm-hmm. did a little bit better, and that's the reason that they pulled out ahead. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just kind of in the context of the whole season, right, Justin, since since and including Baku, uh, George Russell hasn't finished any lower than P4. He's been P3, P4. He had the DNF in Britain, but I'm not counting that. Then P4 in Austria, P3 in France, P3 in Hungary, and P4 today. He is truly, truly the the hallmark of consistency. And I think I think he's showing why um, Mercedes were right to take him uh, kind of over, maybe not over Bottas, but we're right to pick him as the future. Um, you know, he's clearly got the pace. We saw him on that, that last hard stint. He was chasing down signs, pulling seconds on seconds on seconds out of these laps, you know, gaining seven tenths in sector two here at spa. But, you know, he ended up choking. I think it was in uh, sector three, kind of that Stavolo corner turn 14. He made a mistake and lost about eight tenths on his chase. And, you know, unfortunately he didn't take P3, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I think, like you said, he's been doing a great job. I don't think there's much more we can say. I think George Russell is very deserving of all the praise uh, in the world this season so far. Yeah, and gold is, I mean, yeah, we, we like, talked about it just... for like over half the episode. It's Max. I mean, <laughs> obviously, all the weird engine penalties with a mm-hmm. lot of people starting from the back definitely helped him out. And the Hamilton DNF made it a little bit easier and already starting ahead of Leclerc made it even a little bit easier. But Anytime you start from P14 and win a race, you're going to be on the top step of our weekend podium because it's just super impressive. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about it any longer. We already talked about him for like 30 or 45 minutes this episode. So we can just move yeah. straight into our points update and kind and of what wrap a weekend up it was for you, Justin. You and Max it was great weekends. You know, it was. I so I predicted weekends. Max Verstappen being the pole sitter and the race winner, which well, I ended up being okay. right. Max. Okay. No, no, no. You cannot take he, away yes. the pole sitter thing from me yes, because he know, qualified P1. Yeah, he, he was the fastest man in Q3. And despite what the official Formula One record books will say, I'm going to give you that Max Verstappen was on pole. Officially, Carlos Sainz was on pole for this race. Uh, that's so stupid, though. But Yeah, but like objectively, like we all know Max was the fastest. So I like I have no problem giving you this like these. Oh, OK. OK, fine, fine. I was going to ask you, but I was like, I'm giving spirit, it to myself because he was like so much of the fast. question, the spirit of the question. And also he was like seven tenths clear. Come on, like. <laughs> OK, well, I appreciate it. It's, you know, keeping competitive integrity is important to yes, me. So yes. I'm glad that we can at least agree on that. And then I also got plus 10 for race winner, plus 10 because I said there would be a constructor double podium. And then plus mm-hmm. 10 because I said Alpine would pass McLaren. Uh, yep. So the only one that Sasha got this right was 10 points for Alpine passing yeah. McLaren. Now, I completely forgot to do all the points tallying and double checking over the three-week summer break because I'm insanely lazy. I will get to it eventually. 
hopefully by the next formation lap. I really want to because I need to get an accurate points tally. Um, but as of right now, before we added the hungry points, because I don't know why we just, whenever we do our, our formation lap episodes, we always just forget to write down what our predictions are. We need to get in the habit of that so that it's easier to check and that we don't have to go listen through the episode to figure out, um, what we actually predicted and then compare it to what Mm -hmm. happened in the race. So we're going to start doing that from now on, but I will get to, um, figuring out everyone's points, you know, with all our preseasons, hopefully by the formation lap. But as of right now, with me updating all the points that I currently know of, you are leading <laughs> 415 to 414. Now, oh. I do think you did a little bit better than me in Hungary. So that gap is not going to be as small as it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nice to see that we are probably going to have a pretty close F1 on one battle going into the final few races. So I don't know if you have anything well, else to add, but that kind of wraps up the episode pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, I guess just looking at next dates, obviously this is race one of a triple header after the summer break. We have Zonvort coming out, or Zonvort this next Sunday, so a week's time from today. Formation lap episode on Thursday, so four days from today. Then obviously 11 days from today, you'll have the formation lap for the Italian Grand Prix Monza, the Temple of Speed, I think one of the most iconic and historic tracks. Then we have this weird little two-week break, two week break because, you know, unfortunately, due to circumstances, the Russian GP had to be canceled. Um, but then after that, Justin, we have a... I think potentially one of the most entertaining sets of four races in five weeks. We have uh, a Singapore-Japan doubleheader, and then we have a week off, and then we are flying to Texas for the first leg of a doubleheader between Austin and Mexico City. I think those four races are going to be very, very fun, regardless of Max Verstappen clinching. I think those are just great atmospheres. You know, Singapore, Marina Bay Street Circuit, one of the great circuits in Formula One. You know, uh, Suzuka, very iconic for a lot of incidents. Um, Unfortunately, also a site of a very tragic passing of a Formula One driver, but um, still a historic race course. And, you know, Circuit of the Americas, obviously we're going, so I'm looking very forward to that. Um, Mexico City Circuit, uh, or Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, you know, with that stadium section, that really, really dope podium where they lift up the car onto the podium with the winning driver. I think that's just so incredibly cool. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, Justin, but other than that, I think we are ready to wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, Ooh, wow. Just swallowed my own spit there. I would say this was <laughs> a fairly good episode for our first checkered flag back. I mean, we went over an hour, so I hope it's not too long for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. But normally our checkered flags um, range in time a lot. Sometimes they're like 35 yeah. minutes. Sometimes they're like an hour and five minutes. So uh, if you guys made it this far, thank you so much. I mean, even if you break this up into little chunks, we super appreciate you guys listening to it and coming back after the summer break and still supporting the podcast. I mean... It's, it's great to see where we are now compared to the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Please follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at F1on1pod. Twitter's always active. The Instagram, we're starting back up again. TikTok, <laughs> we'll figure it out eventually. Maybe we'll, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll, uh, we'll figure something out for the future. But that one's, that one's actually been untouched since April. So uh, yeah. we really do got to get back in the swing of things because it was actually helping a lot. Um, but yeah, thank you as always for listening, rate us five stars, wherever you're listening to us on, and we will see you guys on Thursday for the formation lap episode for the, what is it? What is it? The, the Netherlands GP. I didn't know the exact sponsor. Or I think it's the Dutch Grand Prix. Eh, The Dutch Grand Prix. It's the Heineken Dutch Grand Prix, but. So Max Verstappen's like third home GP of the year, but we will see you guys then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. Have a good one, guys.